I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, as we continue our study there. For the next several weeks, we'll be looking at that psalm. And when I was a, a kid, I didn't know much about this Jesus we just sang about. I knew that he had existed. I knew he was a religious figure. I knew he had been crucified, but that was really about it. But it's interesting there was something I always looked forward to when I was in elementary school in the mid and late 60s. It's when the Gideons would come to our small school and pass out those little New Testaments. Y'all remember those days? And I always wanted a red one. They would pass out white ones, red ones, I think sometimes green ones. I always wanted a red one for some reason. And as a little kid, knew nothing about Jesus, there was just something about that. And I liked the way they smelled. Now, I know that may seem silly, but you've got to remember, I'm, I'm eight years old, nine years old, don't know Jesus. I just liked the way they smelled. And I would read them, didn't really understand them, especially being King James translation, the these and the thous and the wasus and what all. I didn't get that very well. And, uh, but I liked having one, and, and, and so I accumulated several over the years. Even though I didn't understand it, I knew there was something special about that book. And I want to illustrate just how special the Word of God really is. And to do it, I need your help. There are 12 sections of chairs in this room, and I can't do this without your help. So I need three people who you know that you're special. You know that, man, you got it. You're special. You know that. I need three people in whatever section, in each section, to just stand up right now. Go ahead. stand. I need three people. Just pop up, and then you can just look around in some sections. Go ahead. Come on, don't be, I need three people, I can't, the sermon's done until I have three people in every section stand up, okay, just three people, all right, are the three, in every section of chairs, the back where the aisle breaks these, that's a section back there, you three in the back, those are sections back there, hey, those are sections, Ruby behind you and Betty, those are sections, I need three people in every section to stand up, all right, don't have three over here, need one more in this one, one more in this one got three need three in that section you got three come on stand up three 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 we all love you god loves you it's okay nobody's going you're, you're beautiful come on now here's the thing i want you to look around the room let me ask you do you think the people standing right now are identical have everything absolutely in common they're the same in every way are they diverse are they different different backgrounds different experiences just different places in life. The Bible was written by approximately 40 individuals, which is represented by those of you standing right now. 40 individuals as diverse, actually more diverse than you are. Here's the other thing. You're all standing in this room at the same time. The 40 individuals who wrote the Scriptures lived over a time period that covered 1,500 years. Now, did you hear what I just said? Those 40 or so individuals who were diverse that wrote the Word of God lived over an expanse of 1,500 years. How old is America? We were founded 1770. All right, just checking your history. 1776. All right. So we're 230, what? You got it? We're just a little over 200 years old. So think, 
Think back through the history of this country after the revolution with England. Over 200 years. The people who wrote the Word of God, about 40 of them, as diverse as you are, lived over a time period that was what? Seven times the length of this country's existence? Now chew on that a minute. And yet, it's a unified message. All pointing in one direction to Jesus Christ. That's more than happenstance, don't you think? It's not written by one person who sat down like Muhammad and put it together or Joseph Smith. Over 40 diverse individuals living over 1,500 years under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and it's a unified message. Only God could do something like that. Give the Lord a hand for His Word. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, is, does it, is that special? Talk to me, church. Is that special? All right. It is. This fall, we're going to learn how God uses His Word, this very special Word, this, this special book called the Bible, God's Word, how He uses it in our lives to help us become disciples that bring honor and glory to Christ and to make a difference in this world and live a meaningful and fulfilled life. So we're going to study what he tells us in Psalm 119 about this special book and how he uses it to change us, to grow us, and to help us. Now, I asked you last week, I gave you a challenge to do a couple of things over the next three months, right? Read Psalm 119 once a week, the next three months. Did you read it this week? Huh? Okay. Right, thank you. Good, good. Now, those of you who didn't, guess what? God still loves you. I still love you. You got this coming week. Read it. Read it once a week, okay? Get into God's Word. The second thing was I asked you to memorize one verse a week, and this past week we were supposed to memorize which verse? Verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11. So I want everyone to stand up. Go ahead, everyone stand up, and we're going to say it. Now, we have different translations, so that's okay. Even if it's different words, God hears them all beautifully at the same time. So... On the count of three, everybody at one time, this quote, Psalm 119, verse 11. One, two, three. Your word. Oh, that sounded so good. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Your word, thy word, depending on your translation, I've hidden, I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. That in our heart, we take this special Word of God and we put it in our heart. We bury it in our heart like a, a valuable treasure, something that is of immense worth to us. And the reason we do that is, is, is as followers of Jesus Christ, we, we never want to sin against God. We, we just don't. We don't want to hurt our Father. We don't want to disobey Him. That we know that we, we sometimes do, but we don't want to. And the, th and the thing that helps us obey Him and not disobey Him, that helps us please Him and not hurt Him, is we treasure His Word in our heart. Amen? All right, now here's the verse for next week. You ready? 
Verse 14. What verse? 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. God, your word brings as much joy to my life, more joy to my life than all the riches I could ever have. Think about that this week as you memorize that verse. God bless you. Thank you so much for participating. You can be seated. Now, last Sunday we said that Psalm 119 is an acrostic based on the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Psalm 119's 176 verses is divided into 22 stanzas, one for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza has eight verses. And each verse in each stanza begins with the same Hebrew letter. So the first stanza, the first eight verses, is based on the letter Aleph or A. And so every verse begins with a Hebrew word that begins with that Hebrew letter, Aleph or A. You go into verses 9 to 16, it's the, it's the B, etc., and you go on through that way. There's something else I want you to know about it. Psalm 119. It has many words that refer to the Word of God, the Scripture. But there are eight Hebrew words that dominate Psalm 119. Eight specific Hebrew words that are used over and over and over and over. And uh, each of the 22 stanzas use five to all eight of these words. So like verses 1 through 8 use six of these eight words. And, and they just dominate. And so today what I want us to do is look at those Hebrew words used in Psalm 119 for the Word of God, for Scripture, to see what we can learn about the Bible, what, what do those words tell us about this very special, unique book, this, this Word of God? So that's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to walk real quickly through all eight words, tell you what they are, and uh, then draw some conclusions real quick. And I've got to move fast or we're not going to get, get through all of this. And uh, we're going to focus on the first eight verses, then a couple of verses of the, 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 the second stanza. And in your notes, what I did... I listed the English translation from my trans- the one I'm using, the New American Standard, but out from it, I listed the ways other translations translate that Hebrew word. Do you see that? And so you, your, your, your Bible, your, your, whichever Bible you have, you'll see how that word is translated. The, uh, I also put there below it the, all the verses in Psalm 119 where that particular Hebrew word is used. So, for instance, the first word we're going to look at is the word law. And if you want to see every verse in Psalm 119 where the Hebrew word for law is used, you have all the references, and you could go and read those verses and do a study just on what Psalm 119 teaches about the law of God. Does that make sense? All right. That's there to help you with your study this week to go deeper in God's Word, and I hope you'll, you'll do that. So let's look at these words. The first one's found in verse 1. He says, How blessed or happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of of the Lord. One translation uses the word instruction instead of law. And then in your notes you have all the places that's used. That word can refer either to the Pentateuch, to the Mosaic law, kind of specific, or it can be very broad and refer to all of God's revelation. And the word literally means instruction or teaching that is designed to show us the way to go, what we should do. So the law or the instruction of God show us the way to go what to do. That's what that particular word means. So whenever you see it in those verses, that's what it's referring to specifically. The the second word is found in verse 2. He said, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies. 
That word's in the verse you're going to memorize this coming week, verse 14. His testimonies who seek him with all their heart. The NIV translates that word statutes most of the time and the Holman Christian standard decrees. It comes from a root word meaning to testify or to be a, a witness. And we understand that in, in, in court. Um, Brother David, stenographers in court record verbatim testimony, right? And you have a, a written record of the testimony of the witness. In the Old Testament, what's interesting is that word is used in reference to two things in particular. The stone tablets the Ten Commandments are written on, the tablets of your testimony, and the Ark of the Covenant. So those two tangible physical things, the the stones of the Ten Commandments and the Ark of the Covenant, are God's physical, tangible, written, if you will, record of what He has said. And so testimonies is not just what God says, but it's the written, physical, tangible record of it. You get it? That's what testimonies are when it, when, in, in, in Psalm 119. The third Hebrew word for, for Scripture is found in verse 4. Verse 3 does not use one of these eight words. Verse 4, he says, You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. And, and practically every trans, English translation uses the word precepts there. This is a word that is associated with relationships. Precepts are those Words that define the roles of the parties in a particular relationship. So precepts in this this Hebrew word is a word that refers to the role of God in our relationship and to our role in the relationship we have with Him. And I want you to notice in verse 4, it is God who ordains them. God is the one who establishes the roles that I play, that you play, that we play in our relationship with Him. And God is the one who defines what His role is. We don't define that. God does. And precepts are, are those written records of God saying, this is your role and this is my role in our relationship. That's what a, that's what a, a precept is. God sets the expectations, defines the roles. We respond. The, the next word used for God's word or for Scripture in Psalm 119 is found in verses 5 and 8. He said, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. And then in verse 8, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Most Bibles translate that word as statutes. The NIV translates it decrees. And you have listed there in your notes the places in Psalm 119 where that Hebrew word for Scripture statutes or decrees is used it comes from a root word that means to engrave or to inscribe and thus it came to be used for a written regulation a law a decree a directive a custom a statute rules and regulations that are to be obeyed duties and responsibilities that are assigned to someone and for instance in america in our state in our city we have statutes regulations written ordinances correct and they, they assign to us certain duties, responsibilities, correct? They also, they, they, they also say, here are some regulations you have to follow. They have, they have authority. They have law. That's, that's what the word statutes is referring to. The next word is the, word, the Hebrew word for commandments, or the NIV in the Holman Christian Standard translates it usually commands. And, and these words, by the way, so you won't be confused, 
In Psalm 119 can appear both in singular or plural, and I didn't delineate that in your notes. So just understand sometimes it will be the commandment or commandments, the commands or the command, the statute or the statutes. They, they appear both plural and singular. So just don't, don't let that throw you off when you're doing your Bible study. But commandments or commands is found in verse 6. He said, Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments, or then I be all your commands. This word means a directive given by somebody in authority. Any of you ever serve in the military? Hmm? If somebody of a higher rank spoke to you and told you to do something, was that a suggestion? No, what was that? That was an order, right? You disobey orders, what happens? You get in big time trouble. It's an order. That's what this word means. It's a directive. It's an order. It's a command from God. It's not a suggestion. It's an order. It's a directive. That's what this word's talking about. The next Hebrew word used for Scripture in Psalm 110 is the word judgments or ordinances. Or the, the NIV translates it laws. That's why I wanted to list the verses because it can get confusing sometimes. But, but uh, it's found in verse 7, this Hebrew word. He says, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments or your righteous ordinances. Or the NIV, I think, says righteous laws. Is that correct? Righteous laws there. And by the way, for those of you who don't have a, a strong biblical background and, and you didn't grow up, like me, you didn't grow up in church knowing the, the Word of God, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. So when I talk about these Hebrew words, we're going back to the original text, the Hebrew text, what are the words there? And then when we translate into English, translation is not an exact science. It's not that there's always here's this word and here's the exact word in the other language. That's not how translation works. If you've studied language, you understand that. It's, it's not that precise always. And that's why the translations translate these words a little bit differently in English or whatever the language is you're studying. But this word judgments, ordinances, laws, refers to a legal decision, a verdict. A jury or a judge renders a verdict in a case, right? Well, this, this is a way of referring to God's verdicts, God's legal decisions, God's binding verdict, God's binding decisions about things. Now, the next two Hebrew words are synonyms that in our English Bibles are usually translated the same way, but they're two different Hebrew words. They're Hebrew words for word. And then a second Hebrew word for words. So two different Hebrew words for what we in English call word or words. The first one, and you'll see the difference. I gave you the Hebrew there out to the right. You see the Debar, the Devar, and then the, the other one is the Imra. Two different Hebrew words. The first one found in verse 9. Okay, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And um, that refers to any word that comes out of God's mouth. So how do you keep your life pure? By living your life in obedience to anything God says. So any word that comes from the, the mouth of God. Now the second Hebrew word that in our English Bibles are, is translated words or sometimes promise, sometimes promise, is found in verse 11. It's the verse you memorized this week. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you, against God. And this is a sin. It means essentially the same thing as the other as the other word does, there's one place where the Holman Christians translates it, God, what you have said, Lord, what you have said. And so it's what God says, anything God says. Now, 
Let's slow down. That's a lot of information, right? It's a lot of information. What does it mean? Because I just mentioned to you there are eight Hebrew words that dominate Psalm 119. And for the most part, they're synonyms, but they give us different shades of understanding as to what this special book is all about. It's like if you try to describe something, you, 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 you sometimes will go on and on and on using different words and phrases to paint the full picture of what something is, right? Well, that's what's happening here. All these different synonyms referring to the Scripture, referring to the Word of God, referring to the Bible are giving us different glimpses, different shades of understanding as to what God's Word is and how it works in our lives. And in, and in the weeks to come, we're going to look at how God uses this beautiful, multifaceted Word of His to help us as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ. But what I want to do is real quickly, I want you to fill in some blanks. I want to give you, I think it's about six lessons from these words. And I don't have time to elaborate, just give them to you and, and uh, illustrate two or three of them. And then we'll be done. Some lessons about the Bible, about Scripture, from these different Hebrew words that, that are used to refer to Scripture in Psalm 119. Okay, are you ready? Here's the first lesson. The Bible is a written record of what God says. This is a written record of the words of God. It's like the stenographer. It's the testimony, the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the Ark of the... This is God's written record of what He has said. Now, next week, because I don't have time today, we're going to delve a little bit into how we got the Bible. But understand, this is the written record of what God has said. Here's the second lesson. The Bible is authoritative. It has authority. Why? Because it's what God said. The fact that it is God who said it makes this authoritative. This is not the word of simply anyone. This is the written record of the spoken words of God. It is that which gives it authority. And so when God speaks in this written record, it's like a general giving orders to a corporal in the army. It's a command. It has authority behind it because it's the word of God, our creator, our king, our God. Now, let me say something. As believers, this book is special, but we do not worship this book. I, I remember when I first got saved hearing people say, oh, you shouldn't write in your Bible. You shouldn't write in your Bible. I remember being in Sunday school one time, and my Bible was laying on the floor beside me in, in the chair. Now, I'd only been saved a few months. And like, oh, you should never put your Bible on the floor. I, I get the respect we're to have for But understand, there's nothing magical about this book. We don't worship this book. My Bibles are marked and highlighted and notes in them because I'm going to get in here and study because I want to understand what God is saying. It's the fact that it's God who is speaking. It's what He says that has authority. It's not the paper. We don't worship this. Our first mission trip to London, as we were discovering the city and seeking where God would have us uh, serve, we visited a Sikh temple. Sikhism is a religion, you know, that, that comes out of India. And the largest Sikh temple outside of India is located in London, England. 
50% of the city of London is immigrants today. I don't know if you know that or not. 50%. One out of two people in London are immigrants today. We, we visit the Sikh temple. And uh, when you walk in, and I can't remember if we had to take our shoes off or not. I think so, but I can't remember for certain. Okay? But you walk in, and there's this center aisle, and there's no chairs. It's just a floor. And at the front, I had a picture for you, but my slides messed up this morning. And uh, at the front, what you think of kind of like the, the, you know, the pulpit area, the altar, all of that. There's this, their holy book. And sitting behind it are these guys with this big fan who are fanning the holy book so it doesn't get hot, I guess. I don't know. They're fanning it the whole time. And everybody who walks in would walk up to the front in front of that holy book and they would bow. Then they would go over and sit and kind of meditate. There was a room to the side, one level up, with a window, curtains, kind of a bed because every night they would take the holy book and put it to bed we don't worship this book okay see one of the mistakes that we as christians sometimes make is is we make the physical things that are that are are part of our walk with jesus christ we, we make them sacred not understanding that what is ultimately sacred is me and you When I was up in uh, Sunday school class up here this morning for the prayer time, walked in, heard the end of Gene's lesson. Gene mentioned that we're the temple. This building's not the temple. We don't listen. You know, some of us sometimes throughout life we we we've made the building more sacred than us. The book more sacred than us, and it's us who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. My life is to be sacred before Jesus Christ. My life is to be devoted to Him. My life is to exhibit the morality and the ethics and the values and the priorities that God in His Word has told me I'm to have as a child, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ. But you see, it's easier to make all these other things sacred. Because that means I don't necessarily have to change my values and priorities. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? I'm preaching right now. Are you listening? Are you listening? Well, I'm about out of time. Let me rush on. Number three, the Bible is a record of God's verdicts, God's legal decisions. The biggest problem some people have with the Bible is when it says something, when, 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 when it says that something they want to do, something they enjoy, something they like, is wrong. When God has rendered the legal verdict, decision that a certain behavior, a certain attitude is wrong, is sinful, but, but someone likes doing that, wants to do that, that's when some people struggle with the Word of God because God's legal verdict doesn't agree with what they want to do. A lot of people, myself included, watch the movie Lord of the Rings or the, you know, the series of movies. Remember Gandalf? Is that, Gandalf? Is that how you say his name? Gandalf? The wizard? Gandalf? Gandalf the wizard? was played by uh, Ian McKellen. 
a couple years ago, he talked about how every time he goes into a hotel, the first, one of the first things he does when he stays in a hotel room is look for the Gideon Bible, and when he finds it, rip out one page. He said he's done this hundreds of times. He rips out the page that has Leviticus 18.22 on it that says, You should not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. The reason is he's openly gay. So he rips out the page in the Gideon Bible every time he goes into a hotel that says his lifestyle, God has rendered the verdict that it's a wrong lifestyle. Now, you and I may never have gone in and literally intentionally ripped out a page, and all of us have accidentally torn one sometime maybe if you studied a lot. But we've never just, hey, I don't like I'm just ripping out. But, you know, figuratively speaking, we've all done that. Because figuratively speaking, we know this is the authoritative word of God. We're believers, disciples, followers. We know it's the authoritative word of God. And we come to those teachings of Scripture that we, well, they, they, they kind of, confront us and we, we we don't want to be in compliance and so we we, we, would, we would never figure we, we would never literally rip it out but we do it figuratively all the time and so God says something in there about forgiving people and, and, and we mentally just rip it out he says something in there about loving people we just mentally rip it out he says something in there about tithing and we just mentally rip it out he says something in there about prayer about witnessing about this that all these other things and we just mentally rip what's the di- what's the difference jesus said why do you call me lord lord and did not do what i say jesus said if you love me you will what keep my what my what my what commandments well, what, what pages of Scripture are you figuratively ripping out? Because you just don't want to do that because it confronts you. N- number four, the Bible is God's book of instruction or directions. God says, this is the direction. This is the way to live. This is what I want need you to do. God's instruction, God's, God's directions. Um, this, this week, Steve Polk and I were out in, in northwest uh, Idaho, in uh, Coeur d'Alene and, uh, and uh, Post Falls at Real Life Ministries. This is a church that uh, was planted in 1998. And those two towns right beside each other, just across the state line from Spokane, Washington, have about 70,000 people in them, okay? But this church started in 1998, already has eight to 10,000 people in worship every weekend. An incredible story. So we were out there to study and learn from them about their discipleship process, making disciples and, and how small groups plays into that. And I really enjoy getting to know Steve and I, Steve, a lot better. We, we, we had some good time together and conversations and prayer and, and enjoyed that. But Thursday evening, it was time to go for dinner. We were free that evening. We were going to go to dinner. And there's a beautiful natural lake south of Coeur d'Alene, just beautiful. Mountains, pines, just gorgeous. And Steve said, let's go, let's go down to the lake. Uh, we'll, we'll go down the interstate a few miles, get off, and then we'll we'll take the road back up along the lake, come back into town. Neat. I said, okay, sounds good. So we go about 10 miles east on, I think it's Interstate 90, and uh, get off. And we start driving on this little winding two-lane road that follows the lake, headed back to town for dinner. And I was hungry. At least I thought we were headed back to town. And after about 30 minutes, I got to thinking... This is looking more and more like country. 
So I pulled out my phone, my phone, and I opened up the GPS. I said, Steve, do you know where we're going? I mean, I thought he knew where we were going. He thought he knew where he was going, but he didn't. And therefore, I didn't. I said, according to this, we're headed in the wrong direction. We had driven 18 miles on a winding two-lane road in the wrong direction around that lake, and I was getting car sick, and I was hungry, and I had a headache because it's a three-hour time zone, and your body, it takes a, you know, a few days to adjust. We had to turn around. 18 miles back, that two-lane winding road to finally get to a place where I'm sick almost the whole time I'm eating my steak dinner. Steak did make it make me feel a little better, though. And uh, it's just a lesson, you know. I assumed he knew where he was going. He thought he knew where he was going. Nah. Check your map. Check your GPS. Check your direction. When you assume, you know what happens, right? And yet how many of us as believers, we live life. We, we do life as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, and we don't check the instructions. We're, we're trying to live for Jesus, and we, and we don't know what his directions are. We've got all, I think I know. I think I know. Well, you know, I think this. Well, what, what does God say? This is his instruction book. Check it out. That's, that's what I'm going to spend these next two, three months challenging us to do. Check it out. Get directions. How, how can you live as a disciple of Jesus Christ if you don't know what Jesus says you're supposed to be and do and how to do it? Well, real quickly, number five, the Bible sets li- limits and boundaries as well as si- assigns duties and responsibilities. God says, now, here's the limits. Here's some boundaries. Do you as parents ever do that? Did you ever set limits for your kids, some boundaries, huh? If you're a loving parent, you do, right? Because kids have to grow up knowing there are boundaries. Why do you do that? Because if they cross that boundary, they're going to hurt themselves or hurt someone else, right? It's going to create problems. Why do you think God sets boundaries? Same reason, He loves you. He loves you. Now, did your kids ever argue with you about those boundaries? Did they ever think you were just being mean and trying to take all the fun out of life? Huh? Well, how often do we react the same way toward what God says? Oh, but God, I want to do that. Oh, God, God, I want this. And God, I want no, no. Oh, God, no, God, God. We, we act like little kids. God sets limits and boundaries, and he gives us some duties and responsibilities. Do you ever give chores to your kids? Well, God, listen, God says, if you're going to be my disciple, I've got some jobs for you. Your job's not to sit out there on Sunday morning in a chair and just soak and soak and soak and soak. i got more for you to do than that. A lot more for you to do than that if you're going to be my disciple. And then the last one is the Bible defines the roles in our relationship with God. Here's what I want you to get. My relationship with God, your relationship with God, our relationship with God is not a relationship of equals. Did you hear what I just said? Our relationship with God is not a relationship of equals. That's what people in this world today want. They want a relationship with God of equals. So they want to negotiate with God all the time. But our relationship with God is not that of equals. It is us whom he loves and created 
with him who loves us but created us. Our relationship with the creator is not a relationship of equals. And one of the reasons so many of the world religions and philosophies are popular today is everybody wants a religion where they are equal with God or they become God and therefore they can set the boundaries, they can set the rules, they can set the duties, they can set the responsibilities and whatever they want to do is okay. They want a relationship of equals. But folks, let's not fool ourselves. Sometimes we, practically speaking, live the same way. Because every time we disobey God, in essence, that's what we're doing. God, I'm equal. I don't have to listen to you. God, I can do whatever I want to do. God, I don't have to obey you. It's it's the same as approaching it as a relationship of equals. And our relationship with God is not that of equals. He is authoritative. He is God. He is creator. So here's the question as a wrap-up. What role does God's Word play in your life? And as a believer, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, are you accepting what Jesus says? as authoritative for your life? Or are you figuratively speaking and ripping parts of it out? Do you obey it? Do you study it? Let's stand. As we sing this hymn of invitation.